You're listening to Career Up Now Socially Distanced Close-Ups Podcast. Today, Mike Fox is interviewing Elizabeth Rosner. Elizabeth Rosner is Chief Educational Officer and Career Path Architect at Thriving. Being a Career Path Architect, she guides young people so that they can discover their purpose and passions, plus launch into the ideal career with financial freedom. Let's jump in on the conversation. So when you first started out, did you ever envision that you would end up where you are now? Not at all. Right. <laughs> Not at all. Not at all. I could expand on that for probably the next three hours. So I don't know how much you want me to say or which direction you want me to go. Or so let's take um, it maybe in, in three minutes, right? Let's, let's talk about the journey, perhaps, of, of when you um, were starting in a career, right, where you thought you were heading. Um, and then perhaps what, uh, what kind of detours you hit or, or intentional turns you took um, to, to uh, land you where you are today. Yeah, that is so good. So Mike, just so I'm clear, this recording is, is it for Bradley or is it for, for to use as, to, to be shown to new, uh, new career professionals? I believe it's more the latter. Okay. All right, just want to make sure. Yeah. So, um, yes. Uh, well, so in my business, I use the acronym GRIT. Uh, so it's goal-oriented, resilient, interconnected, and tenacious or tenacity. So begin with the end in mind. What is your goal and how are we going to get there? And then, um, then it's resilience. Then you look at this mountain and you think, I can't do this. But how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? And then you get to that interconnected piece and you think, oh, I'm just going to do this all on my own. I don't need anybody else. And you look up and you realize, and, and that's actually a myth, I think, of our culture and particularly of, um, of career services. Oh, you go out and blaze your own trail and you can do it all on your own. That's a lie, an absolute and total lie. The, the, the car that I drive, I cannot even tell you how to check the oil not even kidding okay so i didn't make that car i certainly didn't go out and build that road and i'm not al gore so i didn't build the internet so all these places <laughs> where you know it's you know you could do it all on your own that's a lie and then tenacity i mean we're gonna hit those roadblocks one of the things i say to my students is when you hit that obstacle is that a speed bump or a stop sign so what is it asking you to do um I have lots and lots and lots of things in my life where I have set a goal and I have achieved it um, in some in some way, shape or fashion, but I have other things that I set the goal and I didn't quite make it. Um, I do have my PhD. It took me nine years. Um, I did three years of classes and um, I was in a really large cohort and they said, if we say to you that we want you to sit for your comprehensive exams, then we know that you're ready and we know that and again, huge cohort is 34 of us. There was probably about 25 of us that sat for comps in the scheduled time. And I was one of two people that failed. And I went back to my advisor and I said, you told me if I sit for my comps that I would pass. And she said to me, I thought you knew more than you did. How is that possible? And, and we're, so I felt like that was a time. And you know what? It was a speed bump. And so I got my PhD. It took me nine years beginning to end um, with a, a break in between. So I just say all that to say <clears throat> lots of different things, <clears throat> excuse me, lots of things will happen. Um, but it's having somebody like me, having somebody in your life that can just cheer for you, you know, just encourage you. So, so you got your PhD, you come out from school and um, 
what, what were you thinking you wanted to do at that point? And are you still doing that today? Again, in, in between the time that I hit the speed bump of not passing my comps, um, I was working full time in higher ed. I've held several different positions in higher ed and I hit that that little speed bump and so I, I stopped the PhD program. Then um, I left full time um, to to own my own business and start my own business. And somebody asked me to teach adjunct. And so I taught adjunct for two courses. And then the next semester I taught adjunct for four courses and no adjunct had ever been chosen professor of the year. And, and I was chosen professor of the year. Wow, so I thought, okay, Lord, is this, is this like I'm supposed to go back and get my PhD? So that started me on getting my PhD. So my idea was I'm going to teach full time. And I graduated in um, May of 2014. I took an entire year. I probably applied for 100 positions, 150 positions. Some of it was online. Some of it was face-to-face. -face. I wasn't willing to move but I live in the Atlanta area. So there are a lot of higher ed opportunities here in Atlanta and I got zero jobs. So um, there's a lot in between, but let's just say um, for me, I, I retired um, completely from higher ed um, December of 18 and then started this, this business. And for me to go from employee to entrepreneur, it was a complete and total mind shift yes. and so um again if one of the roles i can play in career up now is is to say you can do it and i'll help you map it out and i will encourage you and cheer for you along the way but if it is you you're looking to start your own business and be your own entrepreneur and you want somebody that's been doing that for a lot of years that's not me um but i'm willing to help you connect with people who do that that's great. So one of the things that you mentioned was uh, applying for 100 to 150 jobs, which just sounds daunting. Yes, um, it was. And, and walking away with zero um, job offers could be uh, just devastating, I, I yes. can imagine. Talk yes. to me from a, a time commitment perspective to apply for that many jobs. What does that look like? How much time of your life did you spend on that? So I am a fairly organized person. There are parts of my life that um, that you might say is not true, and there are parts of my house that you might not say that's true, but in most ways, I'm fairly organized, and I just kept up with it, and um, I didn't even know, I, I did not even know what a CRM is, but I was doing those kinds of skills on my own, mm -hmm. so I was tracking, you know, where did I get the, the um, where did I first hear about the job, when did I send, you know, my resume, of course, at that point, a lot of it was um, electronic, but I mean, I still sent, you know, hard copies of resumes, other things. And um, again, it's my understanding, and I hope y'all can um, edit out yeah. whatever it is that you don't like. Is that okay, Mike? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so it's my understanding that um, that Career Up Now is um, a faith-based organization. Is that right? I mean, it is, it is a is Jewish okay nonprofit organization. So is it okay for me to talk about, and, and I actually, I asked the lady because I am, I, my last name is Rosner, and yeah. my father-in-law is a Holocaust survivor, but my husband and I are Christ followers. Okay. So I'm not going to use Jesus, but I'm going to use God. Is that yeah, okay? Absolutely. Okay, great. Yeah. okay, so one of the things that it is, it is so daunting. Um, however, I, I have a strong faith, and um, my prayer life was keep going, keep going, keep going. 
there are many of you, and again, uh, Mike and, and Bradley, they may cut this part out too, because this is a little perhaps not encouraging, but um, I had an opportunity and the Lord said, yes, I want you to take this. And I accepted a position after getting my PhD, the next position I accepted full time required a high school diploma. And that was really, really, really hard. But I thought that that would lead me to other things and it was a foot in the door and that also wasn't the case, but God has held me every, every step of the way. So, so in the, in the current times, right, there's, there's a lot going on in the world right now. Yeah. If we talk about the pandemic and the global crisis we're in the midst of with the pandemic, um, what type of challenges or opportunities has this brought to, to your business or perhaps industry at large that you see? I hope this comes across in this in this video and definitely if if you talk with me on the phone I hope it really really comes across but I I am relational. I like to build rapport. I like to be with people. Um, when I started my business, I was in a, um, I, I very quickly got um, added in a networking group, um, a pretty um, significant, I mean, it's a, it's a phenomenal group. And I was telling about my business and the lady said, have you ever thought about doing anything online? And I said, oh no, 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 I cannot do this online. I have to do it face to face. And I just, I need to meet with folks face to face. Well, here we are 18 months later because she planted that seed. Right. Then I have seven courses. I'm in the process of moving all of them from one format to another, which is both an opportunity and a challenge there, Mike. Um, but I have seven courses. I'm working on my eighth one. Um, my newest service is I am proctoring, assessing, and evaluating students taking the practice SAT because mm -hmm. folks need that because they used to get that at face-to-face -face, um, tutoring sessions and those aren't open right now. And so I'm doing that online, watching students do that and then assessing their behaviors, testing behaviors, doing some laser coaching that way. Um, and who would have thought that that was a thing? And honestly, I can't find anybody else that's doing that. So it, it was one of those things where a student asked me, you know, what are some things? And I just started brainstorming, well, why don't we do this? And he said, oh, that would be great. And so, you know, it, it took off. So. That's a great example. That's a great example. So you mentioned um, the, the one seed that was planted there. Are, there. are there other resources you can think of that helped you along the way in your journey? Um, as far as the networking group? The, that anything could be a networking group as a resource could be anything else any resources that helped or maybe even a, a teaching moment that that just resonated with you whether it was uh, um, from somebody during a training seminar maybe even a mistake or failure that you made along the way that you just internalized and uh, grew from yes yes well you know um because i have worked with students in some form or fashion most of my earlier career was um working with students with disabilities and okay. so um i think because um i was able to work with students that had significant challenges then that translates into being able to work with every student mm -hmm. um and i've been doing um, something in working with students um, in transition services for um, 31 years, which uh -huh. sounds a little weird. And um, so when I think about that, I think, oh, yes, I should think I'm the expert. But to be perfectly honest, I learn from every one of my students. Every single one of my students has taught me something. And that's the, the thing for you, too, is, um, you know, every person that you meet can be, you know, somebody that you can learn from. 
I recently had um, one of those kind of icky, icky uh, connections through LinkedIn, mm -hmm. and the guy was a, a uh, insurance salesperson, and I thought, oh, I do not want to do this, but he was pretty persistent, and um, it wasn't, I now have a, a little bit more of a screening system, but I really didn't as much then, and I was kind of taking meetings as, you know, I wanted opportunities, and um, I, he, he ended up being a great resource for me because while I didn't want the service that he was eagerly trying to sell to me, then when he asked me about me and I was able to tell him what I did, then he referred clients to me. And so um, making those, I think networking is so important and um, it's that transitional, no, transactional ickiness you know, that, um, here's my card, you know, it's, it's, you know, how many no numbers can I walk out of the room with, you know, and for me, it's every single person represents, um, an opportunity. I was in, um, an Uber in San Francisco and, um, he was telling me that he works 90 hours a week, 40 hours a week at a federal, uh, position. This was before pandemics. I don't know what's going on with him now. And then he works about 50 hours a week driving for Uber because he had, he has three kids and two of them went to a private fine arts institution and the two of them combined accrued $250,000 in debt. And so I, um, began thinking about that and that spurred my course debt-free degree. So, um, you, you just don't know where, where things are going to happen and be open to those opportunities. Yeah. And, and you mentioned a, a couple of different themes here that I see, um, resonating through, uh, several of these questions and answers around people in the network, understanding when you have a, a connection there who, who can serve as another opportunity for you, another resource for you. Um, and even the mentoring. What I specifically found interesting about the mentoring that you, you mentioned, and it's something that I talked a lot about with, um, with folks on my team, is there's almost a notion of reverse mentoring that can be beneficial as well. You talk about how you learn from every one of your students. Can you expand on that a little bit and maybe share a, a specific experience? Well, first of all, I just wrote down reverse mentoring because Mike Fox just taught me something. <laughs> Thank you, Mike Fox. I had not heard of that. And what, I mean, isn't that beautiful? That is beautiful. You know, when you think about, um, I, so in addition to my full-time job, I also um, teach for the King Center, the Martin Luther King Center. Um, we, uh, we teach uh, Dr. King's philosophy and methodology of nonviolence. Um, when Dr. Bernice King, which is his uh, youngest daughter, when she is wanted to assemble the team two years ago, she sent out emails. There were 12 of us who responded um, and said, yes, we're, we're all in. And um, I don't know how many white people, how many non-African-American people she asked, but I was the only one. I am the only one. And so, um, you know, when you think about diversity, when you think about kind of getting outside your bubble and looking at people that maybe don't look at you, a lot of times people will say, engage with people that aren't in your class, engage with people that aren't in your age group, engage with people that are a different um, political persuasion or, you know, a different religious um, persuasion, um, you know, different ages. And so when I look at, like, if I look at, um, well, 
probably, it's probably been about, wow, that's 10, 15 years ago, maybe. But when I worked at a, <clears throat> an institution, I sat down to um, my Thanksgiving table and I had asked some students to join and some different people. And I looked around, I had um, somebody from Bangladesh. I had an African-American student from Albany, Georgia, which is South Georgia. I had um, one lady <clears throat> who, if you ask her her ethnicity or her country of origin, she, she claims Palestinian, mm -hmm. which is actually no longer, you know, and so that was amazing. And then, um, and then the other lady was from Haiti. So there were maybe, I don't know, maybe 20 that came in and out. And so I just looked around and, you know, that was not intentional. It's not that I said, now who can I have so I can have a person of color at my table? Right. It was just simply that I just loved on people and I love on people who, who don't look like me, who don't act like me because I believe that there's a spark of divinity in every single person, whether you have a religious tradition or not, whether or not you have a faith tradition or not, that agape love that says God created you and you're here for a reason and I want to extend that to you. And I think that's what's so powerful about Dr. King's philosophy is, um, you know, the third principle says we seek to, to defeat injustice, not people. And as of today's recording, today is June the 12th, there's a lot of injustice out there. But there are a lot of people expending a lot of energy to defeat people. Um, and I believe that we can channel that energy to defeating the injustice. I don't know if that at no, all answers you. what you asked for, Mike. Yeah, no, no, it's, it's great. And I, I mean, we... So we talk about the pandemic, uh, you know, at, at the time that Bradley was planning these sessions, nobody knew that we were going to have um, this movement that we, we now have in the world um, around the, the injustice and the inequalities that we see. And, uh, and I think the, the world needs um, uh, people to be more in touch with the love, uh, for sure. And, and so maybe if we, if we take that, that piece that you, you were just tugging on my heartstrings with and wrap up with a final question. Um, as you think about, I mean, clearly you're, you're a very um, faith-based person. What would you say is one core value that guides your life? I will, I will be completely transparent and honest. For me, for Elizabeth, um, because I walk with Jesus, but because the term Christian has become honestly something I don't recognize. For me, I, I call myself a red letter Christian. In other words, if you look in the New Testament, many New Testaments, um, the words of what I believe uh, that Jesus is saying, some, some versions will have it in the red is how we say it. And so um, there are people in our country today who might hold up a sacred text, but their actions don't always indicate that, that they're walking that out. But Jesus says, love thy neighbor. Jesus says, whatever you do to the least of these, you have done to me. So being a Christ follower, you know, loving, loving the Lord. I mean, that is certainly part of it, but honestly, um, I wouldn't say equally, but I would say a very close second is Dr. King's methodology. I mean, the principles and steps and how he approaches things, you know, we're part of a cancel culture. And so say, for example, um, Mike and I participated in the cancel culture. So we've had this great conversation. Mike and I have never met each other. I mean, we're having this, it's being recorded and, you know, I feel like we've built a rapport, mm -hmm. but the minute Mike says, I'm a tech fan, 
And then I say, I'm a Georgia fan. Well, I'm canceling you. I'm done with you. So all this great stuff that Mike has going on, but I'm willing to say you have no value to me because of this one thing. And um, Dr. King's philosophy says, no, we're, we're going to look for win-wins. We're going to look for how we're going to gather information, how we're going to educate other people, how we're going to bring people along and, um, and make sure that we're not canceling people out, that we're not just saying you're, you don't, you don't belong. You're not, you have no worth to me. So I would say both of those are, are guiding principles. And of course, Dr. Martin Luther King was a Baptist minister. So um, while he brought in his faith there, um, he his philosophy is open to everyone. Even if you have no faith tradition, you can practice Dr. King's philosophy. And he also um, used a lot of teaching from Gandhi. And so that's another interesting way that he brought in faith as well. That's great. And, and you've given me now a note that I've taken down for myself as well around cancel culture. Um, that's, that's one that I want to reflect on a little bit more and, and take into sure. further discussions. So. Sure. Dr. Roz, it's been a pleasure. Um, thank you again for taking the time with us. Thanks, Mike. Thank I appreciate you. it. Have a good day.